in our pre-party cheers today, we are going to talk to two great people, uh, Laura Horst, who sent us a fantastic letter talking about our podcast and being the first podcast she's ever listened to. Oh, man. And we just want to start off saying we are so sorry for that. Yeah. And thank you for the letter and the Alamo gift card, which is so generous of you. Unbelievable. Uh, And I also wanted to say thank you to Scott, who gave us uh, Tales of the Arabian Nights, which is a game I wanted to play for years uh, and have never had the uh, cajones to buy on Mm. account of its 400-page booklet that goes along with it. But now I don't have to, because yeah. you are a great person and got it for us. So now, we're, now we're learning it. Cheers to both of you, Laura Thanks and so Scott. Much. Hey, everybody. I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is The Mix Six, where we have six beers and six conversations. And we rate the beers, not the conversations. We leave that to you. Please be kind. We desperately need your they attention all to survive. hate them, is what I've learned. Yes. Uh, so uh, we'll just focus on the beers. Um, in our pre-party, uh, I don't know when we're posting this, so Party Foul is either still live or not still live, and the backer kit for Party Foul is live. That's right. Either way, party buy foul. Party Foul. The game of drunk ducks. The game of drunk ducks. Uh, we've put just a little bit of time and care into it, um, and would very much appreciate it if you backed that. But before we get started on everything else, we need a rating system. Mm-hmm. Lay it on me, Spencer. So, um, I have decided to move away from my terribly insular only things which are true of me. It was... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wade back into the waters. Um, and the last time I tried something similar, nacho toppings, it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, let me, some, let me pick something a little more, I hope, universally understood, hot dog toppings. All right. So we're doing hot dog toppings. Okay. So if you've listened to us before, you know that we rate things on a five-point scale, with the one being the worst thing ever and a five being the best thing ever, not that we're hyperbolic. Uh, and so in today's episode, using hot dog toppings as a rating system, a one, which is an awful beer, it ruins beer for you in the same way that this topping ruins hot dogs, it's sauerkraut. And it's going to be kind of complicated here, because a one doesn't necessarily mean it tastes like sauerkraut. Right. It just is bad, like your opinion of sauerkraut's taste? No, we'll go with sauerkraut pretty objectively. It actually it actively tastes like sauerkraut. Okay. Uh, yeah, now All that right. I think about it, sauerkraut is objectively bad. That's what I'm willing to... <laughs> I'm willing to say that. That sauerkraut is, as an item, disgusting. Yeah. Much like a one would be. Yes. Um, okay, a two, so a little bit better. Like, you could drink this beer, or in this case, you could use this hot dog topping if you absolutely had to, but you do not want this on your hot dogs. It's relish. Relish is gross, people. <laughs> There's no two ways around this. Relish is chunky-looking snot that is also somehow sweet. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I don't eat it. Relish is gross. Man, the comments are going to be so pissed off at you. Real lit. I'm going to be with you here, though, because I don't eat hot dogs, period. Well, you definitely so, don't want relish uh, on them. All of these are hard ones for me. Okay. So. so a three, and here's where I sneak in a good one. In some ways, the the most regular hot dog topping is no topping at all. It's the plain hot dog. Still a one for me because it's got hot dog. No, on that's it. a one. You want something on a hot dog? You don't regular. Yeah, no, you like don't. A good no, ball- I don't. I yeah. don't want one. A good ballpark hot dog can be eaten by itself. No, you yeah. keep, hot dogs. You are. keep your 
suspicious you, meat you, tube you to want yourself. Something to sp- I want no part of it. You want something to flavor that raccoon and horse. Uh, yeah, the raccoon and horse, man. Mm-hmm. Like regular, hot good old-fashioned hot dogs taste great. Mm-hmm. Or at least they can. Okay, now we're getting into the good stuff. These are the things you actively want I mean, to put on I, a hot dog. I think the problem of a hot dog is that the, the toppings are used to cover up the fact that it is a hot dog. Hot dogs are bland hot by do- themselves, and no. that's why you no. and that's why you would I mean, like y'all meat. aren't eating the right hot dogs. Is the problem? Oh, I'm I, I'm not eating any hot dogs, <laughs> so, so I'm not disagreeing with you there. Categorically but like, true. But I think like the the toppings, uh, it's very much like hey, it's three cents of actual meat and slaughterhouse sawdust. Uh, let's let's try and drown that flavor out. With anything else. If you put nothing on it, it still tastes pretty good. But if you want it to taste better, so we're getting into the four. This is the stuff that you actively want to make the hot dog more enjoyable. It's mustard. I don't need your fancy shit. I don't need your spicy stuff. I need French's or just honestly, really any yellow bottle of mustard is probably good on a hot dog. Just what mustard do you have? I don't know. Is it yellow? Yep. Put it on there. And then finally, peak hot dog condiment in the same way that this would be peak beer. Ketchup. Ketchup is a three. It is the platonic ideal of a three. It is the most average condiment out there. I want to tell you something. <laughs> you that ketchup is the best hot dog topping. Much like no. a five beer would be probably the best of that kind. Or, to use your language, the platonic version of that kind. Of the average. It's okay. just... Nope. Nope. Uh, okay. is wrong. I have a question. What about like Chicago absurdity of topics? Like nope. Jalapenos, an entire pickle... Uh, nachos and nope. entire chili cheese. No, no. A Philly steak sandwich on top of your hot dog. One of the um, uh, yeah. One of the beautiful things about hot dogs is that if topped appropriately, you can still eat them using your hot hand dogs are the white and not end up looking like. Oh, so you're not for the sort of absurd jambalaya esque no. bowl in which a, a hot dog a hot may dog. or may not be buried. Oh All my right. god, the chili dog like picking up a chili dog. No, cut your hands off, man. We're cool here. <laughs> nah. We don't need yeah, that. chili dog is. You think right. s'mores are bad? Oh my a god, a chili dog is a million times yeah, worth. There's you, no dead animals in a s'more. Uh, there may so. not. There may not be any dead animals in a hot dog. I don't know. Yeah. They taste good. Okay, so anyways, that's the rating system we're using. We're gonna grab some beer. We'll be right back with dissecting our. Caleb, what are you drinking? I am drinking a Blue Mountain Barrel House Series Dark Hollow, which is an imperial stout aged in oak bourbon barrels. Mm-hmm. <gasps> mm-hmm. All right, now that I can breathe again, I am going to take a sip of it. This, and I believe all of the beers we'll be drinking today, were given to us by Brownie Davis. And thank you so, so much for bringing us so many beers uh, and so many opportunities to rate and review things again today using hot dog toppings. Caleb seems to like this. It is a... That's a really good stout. ruh I'm going to go with ketchup. Damn, a five? Yeah. Out I, the gate? It's a very good stout. It is very uh, middle of the road. It's definitely in the stout range. It's not too smoky. It's not too sweet. Um, I can taste the bourbon barrel, but it's not overpowering with alcohol. Like a lot of people, if they age it in oak bar- bourbon barrels, have we seen it be like, and that means it has to be 20%. Like, um, and it's, it is, uh, or at least it, it is high ABV. It, it's not, it's only 10%. Yeah. That's, that's where you need to be. It's, yeah. It is a, uh, an excellent stout. That feels responsible. Much like ketchup is supposedly an excellent topping for hot dogs. There we go. Yes. Loving that. Hey, what are we talking about? Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a game that I, I bought a while ago, but uh, we recently got to play uh, Mountains of Madness. Um, 
which is or mansions. Uh, no nope. mountains of madness, madness. Okay. based yeah. on uh, based on the story of the same name. You're you are climbing the mountains of madness, um, and it is quite fun. That's um, a real good stout and extremely interesting uh, comparative to other oops other Lovecraft games we've played. Uh, so it is definitely uh, tangentially related to Lovecraft in that it has snippets of the novel included on the card, and I mean one sentence at most. Um, oh yeah. And it is themed according to Lovecraftian themes. But it is not Arkham Horror. Like, you're not reading a card full of text. Um, nope. It is definitely not an RPG. Or It does have some role-playing elements. But um, it's unique in that I would call it a Lovecraftian party game. It's cooperative. It's very difficult to win. But the main mechanic in Mountains of Madness is uh, the mechanic you see in a lot of party games. Um or sort of games that you play with other people in a cooperative manner where the primary mechanic is limiting your ability to communicate and then forcing you to communicate in a stressful situation. So I'm thinking of stuff like The Mind mm-hmm. or The Game and mm-hmm. its uh, less well-themed version. Um, so the thing about Mountains of Madness, you are going up the mountains. You are, have these tiles, which are uh, laid out across the board. So you have these variable challenges. And uh, you've got these cards with different uh, things on them that uh, basic four symbols, crates, weapons, tools, and books. Um, And to overcome certain challenges, when you flip over a tile, you need to uh, have a certain number between this range and this range of books and between, and then you have this many tools or this many tools. You can have 12 or 15 exactly, and you all have to lay down your cards to beat the sort of challenge. But you have 30 seconds to do that. In that 30 seconds, you will be able to talk about your cards. It's the only time you can talk about your cards during the game. But you also have to roleplay your madness, which is given a card in you, and it gets increasingly worse as the game goes on. And you can't tell anyone what your madness is. So you have these cards that are like, I can't show anyone my teeth. Or I can't play cards if anyone is looking at me. So we're like in the middle of 30 seconds. It'll be like, we explained it all. And everyone's dropping their cards. And they're like, why are you doing that? I'm like, don't look at me. Mm-hmm. Don't look at me. <laughs> Just screaming it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to check under the table for monsters. Or I uh, wasn't allowed to be silent. And so when I wasn't talking, I had to go, uh, which was the most annoying thing. It was thing. so annoying. I thought Brandy was going to divorce me yeah. on the spot. Uh, dashing was very good. In oh, which yeah. you had to give yourself a finger mustache. And you could only talk to other people with a finger mustache. But you couldn't tell them they had to have a finger yes. mustache to talk to you. Uh, so it was, I, I, I just out of whim put up a finger mustache and he started talking to me. We figured that out. But you can't tell anyone what your madness is and you have to use it to communicate. And so it's basically a party game with this sort of uh, mechanic. But um, as you go up the mountain, it's very interesting because like they'll give you the symbol of what you need to do and like the, the, um, the numbers, but then they'll like change the uh, change the color of the icon. Like they'll start messing with the icon colors to like really screw up your communication as you go further up. Um, and also, you need to win. Uh, you need to escape with a certain number of uh, relics, which are going to be like actual relics or um, alien knowledge or uh, things like that. Win. Um, and when you get those, those always decrease your ability to play the leadership role, which is where you do things to like add time or give yourself a better draw limit. Um, so the more things you get that you need to win, the harder it is to win further. Um, and so it's sort of got that death spiral yeah. of all Lovecraftian games. 
but it's got that sort of death spiral and the the insanity mechanic is like super fun it's, it's a super, super fun, fun party mechanic yeah, yeah. i uh, so having played a couple of the lovecraftian themed games and i i think i've been pretty open like I understand that Arkham Horror is probably a great game. I didn't really enjoy it. I haven't had great experiences playing it. It's too fiddly. There's too much going on. And there's almost no interaction. That's right, yeah. What, whatever the lore is, it feels like it gets buried in the, the structure of the game. Yeah. Um, but this game plays up the madness mechanic in such an interesting way that it takes all of the kind of like, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely yeah, right. Other there, than playing the cards, it is the central mechanic. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, there there is the, there is increasing pressure on you making it more difficult to win while you're also simultaneously winning, which is like a really nice um, dialectic that's happening as you move up the mountain. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that's all happening under the confines of your limited ability to discuss that and what it means for you in these ridiculous ways. And so for me... Um, I was very impressed with the mechanic. It, 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 it's built to make me feel very uncomfortable, and yet I really enjoyed it. And, and I think the thing that I got the most out of playing it was something that Sarah said, which is during a, a, a brief period of downtime where we weren't doing anything, Sarah just kind of said, I really like all of you. And I was like, <laughs> what is happening? And she was just like, I just... I don't know that I could play this with a lot of people because of the ways you have to interact with other people during the madness yeah, phase. There is a madness card that requires you to touch another player's face while you talk. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like there not was a game for cons for certain. No, yeah. there was something there was something like very revealing to me about that, which is like, yes, I think that this game is peak. You need to have the right you need to have the right game group and you need to have some psychological safety with some people. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, can we all comfortably do weird things and no one in the room is going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Other than go, oh, well, the game is making you do something weird. Let's keep playing. Um, I really enjoyed it and I did not know that I was going to enjoy it and when I started looking at madness cards and finding out that I had to do all of these very weird things and I do not care to physically act or enact anything, um, I thought that I would be out out and about just not having it and I fucking really enjoyed it, man. Yeah, like, um, I worry that it's not too thematically attached to Lovecraft because we laughed a lot. Right. It is a very fun game, but, like, that's part of what board games should do. They should let you have fun with your friends. That's exactly right. Um, and then, also, like, that's also not true of most Lovecraftian games. Like, we play Call of Cthulhu because, yeah, if it's run real right, it could be real disturbing and haunting. But if it's not run real right, it's still darkly hilarious, <laughs> and we have a lot of fun sure. doing it with, like, these weird scenarios that come up because of its own madness mechanic. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it, it, it's just focusing on that side of the Lovecraft gaming spectrum. The whimsy of the, all of the, it. The, the weird, dark yeah. humor of it all. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So, if you've got a good gaming group, You've got some people who are willing to do some weird shit. You're in okay front of with others. someone touching your face. Yeah, yeah. Totally get if you aren't. Not, not sure that I would be. Um, <laughs> if you're cool with all those things, and then in the middle of, of all that, you feel like you've got a couple strategic thinkers who are comfortable making quick decisions and who are okay if people just start kind of like assert, asserting orders to make order out of chaos. Yeah, you have 30 seconds. Yeah. It is a tight window. Then Mountains of game. Madness is definitely for you guys. It's the first time I've played a Lovecraftian-themed game and felt like it got the mechanic right in a non-suppressing um, way. Yeah. It was like, you oh, got this the mechanic right, but you don't need to have read all of Lovecraft right. to enjoy. This is here to enhance the game, not to limit your ability to enjoy the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, on that note, uh, Mountains of Madness, I would say like medium to hard recommendation there, depending on conditions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that it could be an entry game for people that are just 
more social. Like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of it's not very hard to no, not very hard to grok, um, and it is very fun. Yeah, uh, we're gonna grab another beer. We're gonna grab Armchair Director, where we talk about movies, and we'll be right back. Hey, Spencer, what are you drinking? So this is from Smart Mouth Brewing Company. It's a chaotic neutral IPA. Uh, just D&D shit all over the place. Great can. Of, of all the, Real great. Of yeah, all the nerd a, pandering I've seen in the craft like a, brewing area, it's it's winning. It's got a little castle. Oh, and the, the figures have little bases on them, so yep. they're miniatures. Yep. So, got yeah. minis on it. Oh, is this not, is this like a... It's actually very good. Oh, okay. I mean, we've been open about IPAs here. Yeah. That's probably a must of the devil. Um, it's, a, it's 7.4%, but it is not so aggressively hopped as to be unconsumable. Um, I actually think there's a little sweetness on the back end. Oh, that's delicious. Right? I like, think I might go higher with that. You are giving out just all the ketchup today, sir. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> just call me high. That's you the new giving out all the ketchup. <laughs> That's the new Katy Perry song. <laughs> just gonna give out all the ketchup. You need to pump the brakes, man. <laughs> I'm gonna pump that ketchup. Uh, no, no, stop it. Oh, no, He's no. now doing the oh, like. Yeah, that is a good IPA, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that is that is surprising because I've had a lot of uh, IPAs pandering to the nerd space, like yeah, hoping to find the Venn diagram between bit hop dweeb ale. consumers yeah, yeah. and um, you know, the IPA insanity. That is just trash yeah. because they're hoping that nerds don't know enough about beer. And I, I'll be honest, it's a it's a safe bet most of the time, <laughs> but they're hoping nerds don't know enough about beer. But that is that is a solid IPA, the good. Yeah, as the kids Where's say. Where's the brewery from? Um, Smart Mouth, which is out of Norfolk, Virginia. Mm. Hey, Caleb, what are we talking about? In your number two vote getter, number armchair two? director, we are going to talk about today a very interesting subtopic you proposed. I did. Um, top three almost great movies ruined by a poor casting choice. Um, so this is very interesting. The movie has to be almost great, despite a single casting choice, which is what made Lineless difficult to pick. Yeah, so here's the thing. I did a bunch of research on the internet for this topic, and here's I disagree wholeheartedly with the internet about this, except for like maybe an ins- here's Here's what I'm learning. Most people who write like movies ruined by a bad casting choice article, of which there are literally thousands, I the problem that I'm running into is a lot of those movies wouldn't have been good in the first place. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so for example, over and over again I saw Keanu Reeves in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um I saw Ryan Reynolds in Green Lantern. Uh Denise Richards in yeah, uh, Ryan Reynolds was the problem. Yeah, he was the problem in Gr- Denise <laughs> Richards in like the 15th or 16th Pierce Brosnan Bond Bond film. I got you beat. Uh cuz I did research as well cuz we are fucking professionals. That's here. right. And I found a list where someone included Marlon Wayans in the D&D film as if that was the That's only the problem <laughs> with the D&D film. <laughs> Marlon Wayans. I'm not going to lie. It's a problem, but yeah, there are other problems. Bottom of the list is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so having said that, this was kind of a tough list for me to generate um, because I, chances are, well, I make a lot of decisions based on casting choices, which is kind of where I run into this problem. So I'm going to let you start. Because I'm about to make a really bad argument, and I want a runway. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to go with Concussion, uh, the recent film that yeah, just came with out. with Will Smith. Yeah. You're telling me that's a movie that you would have liked not Will, without Will Smith? Fuck yes. Really? Okay. A, a world in which you have Chua Jalajilafor in it. 
who is a fantastic, um, superb actor who can do a accent quite well. Um, and you could make a movie about this extremely prescient topic in American society and put it out today and have it be about like a serious film that is about a serious issue that affects like all sorts of uh, economic things and like the pastime and in many ways the soul of America, if we want to believe those uh, alt right guys who are angry about kneeling in the mm-hmm, mm-hmm, national, anthem. national anthem. And that you go with the guy who did Hancocked. And I don't care. <laughs> seven pounds mm-hmm. and After Earth. You go with that guy. Well, what about in that s- one minor art movie you did about the uh, he was a cop? Uh, oh, fuck you. <laughs> Damn it, <laughs> guy who did Bright on Netflix. You go for him instead of Chuajelo Giafor is a, a crime I can't forgive. Um, it, it, why would you do that? Like it's a film that need to be made. It was a news sort of biopic film that like needed to come out when it came out had some great lines had some great actors in it like you're fighting somebody who owns a day of the week like like all like great writing great stuff that needed to be in there and will fucking smith i and like don't don't talk to ali about me like all right i it was a while ago and ali can only carry so much like oscar clout on its back before will smith Bright degrades that uh, over the years. I'm yeah. just so I'm just so surprised to hear that you would have genuinely been interested in concussion, but for Will Smith, I guess is what I'm saying. That's where I'm. That's where I'm stuck. So, but no, hey, good for you. I think you've come up with a decent idea. So, here's I I have one not listed because I want to test this idea because this is the thing that came up over and over again on the internet, and I'm just not sure. So, the premise of this question is: Would the movie have been great, but for a bad casting decision? And the thing I saw over and over again on the internet was Hayden Christensen in episode two and episode three. No. And that's what I'm getting stuck on, right? Like, are those good? Did I miss? Are those good movies without Hayden Christensen? No. Great movies even without Hayden Christensen? No. That's, thank you. That's the fucking, okay, so either, okay. Don't test that. Internet writers of the world, stop doing this. Because all of you use. It's like, will gasoline put out the fire? I mean, maybe we don't have data, but I'm going to say no. In of one says Um, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's like it is routinely like Kevin Costner in Robin Hood. Yeah. Duh. But then fucking Hayden Christensen is like number two or number three or in some. See, I almost picked Thirteen Days, which is that movie about the yeah. Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, because Kevin Costner can't do a Kennedy accent at all. Kevin Costner can't do much. But then I was like, okay, let's say Kevin Costner can do a Kennedy accent. Kevin Costner's still in it. It right. doesn't like that doesn't factor. In. And like, I don't. There's other mistakes. I don't want to berate Kevin Costner too much because my understanding is that he bought a house nearby, and we are trying. He to... He will kick in the door, and yeah. we're we're going to try at some point He's to taken. get a Kevin Costner movie day in and invite him aggressively. So I don't want him going back through our if catalog. You show them he will come. That's right. <laughs> I don't want him going back through our catalog and be like, Hey-oh. oh, I'm definitely going to be there. And then he gets to episode forty and he's like, fuck those guys. And and then we're you know we feel the dreams to ourselves. Is a hard researcher when it comes to his media. Opinion. Well. Well, all right, so that was the third one that I wanted to test. The next two I'll actually make arguments for, but I'll let you go next again. So one of your picks is a thing that you don't actually believe in, but just wanted to say a lot. I wanted to see if I was just missing it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, but it's I'll, not a competition, but I'm winning. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm going to go with Edge of Tomorrow. This is a good pick. Uh, Groundhog Day as a sci-fi shoot 'em up action thriller is not a bad premise, but then um, Tom Cruise, and I want to be clear tom cruise at peak crazy 
like at this time in his like media profile. But don't you think that kind of like makes for some content? Like, yeah, you've got to be Pete crazy to continue to die over and over no, again. No, no, it doesn't. And I don't, you, I don't. you do get to see Tom Cruise get killed over and over again. That that was a good pick. Yeah, that was a good pick. But then I didn't have to root for him after he stopped being killed and started yeah. being competent. <laughs> so like, it was a film in which Tom Cruise, when he was an okay actor, like say Magnolia, was playing himself, which is a self-obsessed, egotistical douchebag. Yeah. And then he got murdered over and over and over again. Yes. But the arc I'm supposed to root for in that film is Tom Cruise becomes a late Tom Cruise character in which he's just a hyper-competent, weirdly unwrinkled 58, 72-year-old man. 61,000. This weird, freaky Scientology vampire who's now hyper-competent at everything, and I'm supposed to be... Yay, go get him, our hero. And nope, hard off the boat there. Uh, like, Here's my problem with this pick. I actually enjoyed that movie. So let, did you enjoy the film, or was it just Tom Cruise was too much? I enjoyed the parts of the film that I could get over Tom Cruise being mm, in it. Mm, okay. and I, Which would be hard to do, because that's much a, of the and, film. And I can be like, yeah, it's good. It's got Brendan Gleeson in it. Woohoo! I'll watch Brendan Gleeson do fucking anything. He can read the phone book to me. But... He could. But... Um, I can't overcome the fact that it's like, man, and it's, am I in some way supporting Tom Cruise and watching this? Well, yeah. Have my eyes cast their vote for Tom Cruise? Because I shall strike them out as the Bible tells me to. I gotta be honest. Um, I like this movie. My, my one problem with this movie is that it went through 19 different titles in six months. <laughs> yeah. I hated that bit. Okay, so here's, my, here's, here's what I think is probably my safe argument. I know it's not safe. Um, especially given everything I've said on this podcast for the last year and a half. But Part of me thinks that like Man of Steel is actually a pretty good movie without Henry Cavill. Like find a compelling Superman, or let me say it this way: just take Brandon Routh. Never make the Superman Returns shit. Put Brandon Routh as Superman in Man of Steel. I think that's probably a pretty good movie because like there's a lot going on. I like. I love the alien fighting scene on Krypton. I'm glad we explored Krypton a little bit, and it was interesting. Oh, no, that's the best happen. part of the movie. Yeah. But then, then you introduce. The but then it becomes Miracle Man issue eight. But you introduce <laughs> in the last thirty minutes. But I think the problem is you introduce the least compelling human in history as Miracle Man. Henry Cavill is for me a chiseled block of granite that for some reason you just don't like. Like you walk he, by it every well, he day. Well, emotes like granite, right? And you're like that chiseled block of granite seems like a real asshole. You know what I mean? Swap in someone compelling, and I think you've got a lot going for you. I don't like that they that that Lois isn't on the bit. I think that violates the soul of Superman. Um, but but I like Amy Adams. Um, I like much of the supporting cast. I uh, think Michael Shannon is is to me a revelation as Zod. I thought it was an inspired casting choice. I think you swap Henry Cavill for a compelling Superman like Brandon Routh, who is the best part of Superman Returns, but for uh, Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. And I think you got yourself a pretty good film. I, yeah, I think I think you're there. There, like I'd watch Shannon do anything. Yeah, like literally anything. When he's a good guy, it's even better it's than when he's better. a bad guy because he's like. A weirdly off-putting, menacing good yeah. guy. Mid- Midnight Special, is that what that Oh, is? Midnight Special is so good. He's yeah. like, I believe so you'd join a cult. You would join a cult. Yep. But like, you got out of it for your son, yep. and I so, trust you. So, uh, a movie where him, Michael Shannon, uh, Steve Buscemi, and Josh Brolin are all unambiguously good guys... That would be a very that would be like uncanny value. I would I would rewatch that. I would watch Hashtag them. Team Ugly. Team Ugly. I would watch them in like a three men and a baby remake. Yeah. Oh my god. 
that would be <laughs> terrifying an infant. Yeah. Yeah. When Steve Buscemi's the nicest and cutest yeah. looking Have guy you seen there. the interview with yeah. Steve Buscemi? Hmm. Oh, it's fucking fantastic. Buscemi is Gutenberg, obviously. You, uh, this has not, nothing to do with it because the interview is a great film. But if no. you ever get a chance, watch the interview with Steve Buscemi. He plays just a reporter interviewing a pop star, and they have like a weird sort of like love affair over the night of the interview but he's still Steve Buscemi and it is it is fucking wild like it is really good um it should be a play but uh yeah next on your list I'm gonna go with The Debt not in a movie a lot of people saw but they should have so Tom Wilkinson who if you've not seen him Mm -hmm. in anything go see him in Michael Clayton because holy shit he should have gotten every Oscar retroactively for that um, Heinz, who's in the Terror right now, another fantastic. Mirren, playing the older versions of these Ooh. Mossad spies mm. that hunted ex-Nazis in East Germany. Tense thriller, great. You got younger versions of themselves, so it sort of jumps between their actions in um, the Cold War, hunting down these... Like in this. Like mo- uh, these Mossad guys hunting down these ex-Nazis, and then sort of like their adult lives... And the the uh, the debt uh, based on the actions of the old, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and one of the young versions of them is the living piece of driftwood, Sam Worthington, who mm. floats <laughs> into every scene, <laughs> blends into the background. I hear lines from something. I don't know what the emotional character of those lines are, and I'm not really sure where they came from because I forgot I was seeing Sam Worthington because he's just sort of a nice chiseled piece of. Wood that sort of pans into the scene and then like bobs out of it. And why would you put him in that tense, like multi generational spy thriller about like the nature of revenge? It'd be like putting Sam Worthington in any movie, like Sam Worthington in Munich. Like, why would anyone want to see that? But they, they Sam Worthington to- in Avatar. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe there's something sneaky good there, which is, well, yeah, but if he can blend into anything, he'd be a great spy. Yeah, but he's like interacting with other spies when he's not blending in. Oh, okay. okay, so, yeah, so it, just it doesn't it doesn't work. <clears throat> All right. Also, I've seen Ronan. Those that's a movie of people blending in and then being terrifyingly interesting when they're talking to each other. Oh, you mean uh, Ronan, the prequel to 47 Ronan, one of the best films in the history of films? No. Okay, cool, great. Not that um, one. All right, here's, here's my argument. I think that I would be willing to go back and rewatch a Batman Forever in which you took out Tommy Lee Jones's Two Face. Jesus, why? No, okay. like, okay, okay really? Lo- that's the weak spot. Yeah, that, that, you've well. lost. Okay, I just want to be clear. You've lost this so hard. Okay, this at not, this not point, a I feel literally like not a at this point, I feel like I need to just get down on the mat and pat literally for like my brand because it would be really bad if I were to continue throwing punches. <sighs> okay, so let me just let me let me try. All right, uh, I want to make I want to make an argument. Okay, a sub point. Um. The, the Joel Schumacher Batman experiment failed. We all know that. But <laughs> there were experiments. Yeah. But but I think there that's were, the problem. There were more than one. The grand project <laughs> failed. I, I think that's the problem. Is that is that I'm not sure if Batman and Robin doesn't happen, the Joel Schumacher Batman experiment has to fail as badly. All right? So Batman Forever is not, not great. I understand that. But there are some good things in Batman Forever. Jim Carrey is one of them, according to you. I think that Jim Carrey as the Riddler was a pretty good casting choice. Time and space 
bound him to that role, okay? So I don't think that's a function of Joel Schumacher. I think that's a function of time and space. Um, Nicole Kidman is Chase Meridian. Yes, great. Absolutely wonderful. She was fantastic. Um, we still had, we got a holdover and Michael Goh as Alfred. Awesome. He was perfect. Uh, Val Kilmer was not the worst of the we're going to try different Batmans. Okay, so we're still okay here. The introduction of Robin and the origin story around uh, the Grayson family. Big Chris O'Donnell fan, I take Chris it. O'Donnell, honestly, and I'm not trying to be too much of a Chris O'Donnell fanboy right now because those things don't exist, but if I were going to be, I would say this. Chris O'Donnell was probably built to do one thing and one thing only, and that was be a lapsed gymnast wearing Kevlar. And he did that serviceably you big you big csi duluth fan or whatever the fuck he's on now yeah huge huge cri- yeah I, wa- I, I i watch it for the articles okay um but so but let me say and and we haven't even mentioned the soundtrack which is honestly one of the greatest soundtracks of the entire 90s i mean it's got kissed by a rose but do you need anything else do you need anything i need else? jim carrey not to be in it no jim carrey was fine J- jim carrey as edward nigma was a good idea but but then so my one of my least favorite things about the the Schumacher Batman verse is the the um, playground the neon playground approach he takes to things like the Batman and Robin everything is bright and colorful and under a black light and it all feels like some weird carnival is terrible but I really think all of that. Because there's even an element of Tim Burton's Gotham remaining in Batman Forever, and that goes away as well by the time we get to Batman and Robin. I think the linchpin between moving away from a slightly more comical Tim Burton Batman to full-on Joel Schumacher, just Joel Schumacher all the way down, is Tommy Lee Jones' Two-Face. No. And, and, and they even show you that much in the costume. On no. one side, it's Tim Burton Batman. And on the other side, it's Joel Schumacher's worst impulses painted onto Tommy Lee Jones' face. Okay, yeah, that's the thing. But that's Joel Schumacher's fault. Are you trying to tell me Tommy Lee Jones can't carry a film? Or Tommy Lee Jones can't be over the top? Have you seen Natural Born Killers? I have. I have. Shit fired hell. He I, like, he's uh, fantastic. I'm not making an argument against he's a Tommy Lee Jones. I agree. Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive inspired. You want to talk about retroactive Oscar? All of them, Emmys, Grammys, whatever. Under siege, he's the Un- best part. Of his, uh, best part of the movie. He's the he best. Can, he can do over the top. Have you guys seen? He Volcano? can do it perfectly well, <laughs> but not when Joel Schumacher's directing. But and th- that's not a casting. But story. I think the bit it is though because I think that it he can do over the top. And what I'm saying is part of the problem is that maybe he did over the top so well on one half of his body that it it gave Joel Schumacher the impetus to run with the the left side of Two-Face down the Batman and Robin path. And I think had we stayed on the right side of Two-Face, we would have we would have at least kept things in the the Burton verse. So my argument is that Tommy Lee Jones ruined Batman. You I mean you're right, you convinced me. You did a great job, buddy. Thank you. You you hear that, folks? Ross, cut it now. You're, cut the, it now. you're the best because you try the hardest. Okay, thank you. I think we should all like really appreciate how hard Spencer tried there. I feel. He did. I and feel. He, and he didn't even mention Scarlett Johansson and... Uh, uh, yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah. Because, because yeah. again, I don't think that was going to be a good movie... Even without Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> I mean... That's the trick, right? Yeah. I mean, but, this is where the but, internet... Batman yeah. Forever. <laughs> it was Tommy Lee Jones' yeah. fault. I, that's the, I, I'm willing to make that argument. <laughs> oh, we know. Yeah. And you did it. I'll say don't at me, but you're going to. So <laughs> see you there. All right. Listen, man, I'm not expecting great things, but what 
What are you about to try? I am going to try the Kindred Spirit Brewing's Strawberry Milkshake Ale. An ale brewed with fruit and lactose. Yeah, this isn't going to be... I don't think this is going to be good. I'm not trying to be rude. <sighs> if it's brewed with fruit, isn't it a cider? Not necessarily. How do you make it an ale with... I mean, think about like raspberry jam, like all of the... like you I'm, know. I'm just fighting... Yeah. I'm worried about this. Uh, yeah, it's got a milkshake on the can. Which is good. I mean, topical. Yeah, I mean, relevant. Oh, yeah. wait a minute. He's going back for a second one, and he doesn't look angry. Yeah. He's thinking about this. It's actually pretty good. Oh, no. <laughs> like, it's sweet. It's sweet as hell, but, like, it's less sweet and offensive than many of the ciders we tried. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a, it's a mustard. What? That's not... It's pretty subtle. You're fucking... It's pretty subtle. You're just... I haven't tried it, but I just... I assume... Spencer, fucking try it, then. Spencer's being very lactose intolerant right yeah. now. <laughs> Get it? Oh, God. Oh. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Caleb, what's... Oh, my God. <laughs> no. It's Caleb, that's that bad. That's terrible. It's not bad. Caleb, that tastes like a, a bad... It tastes pretty sweet. That tastes like a bad lollipop shit out gross liquid. <laughs> oh, my God. You cannot like that. I, it's Ross, okay. I kind of like Ross. it. Ross. I gave it a three, which is ketchup because ketchup is the most average. You're wrong no, about this. It's, it's a plain hot dog. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. All right. I'm going to go down to it. I will go down to a plain hot dog because I will eat a plain hot dog if I am forced to eat a hot dog for politeness sake. But I don't think I will eat two hot dogs. Does it happen to you? And I don't think it will have two, two strawberry milkshakes. Yeah. Because yeah. it's gross. But I'm not, like, angry. It's comfortably below board. It's not gross. It's three. It's, it's a plain hot dog. Okay. All right. I, well. I have retrograded. I've brought it down to three. Because uh, I don't think I'd have two. But Okay. Cool. You're wrong. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're into Sportsplainer, your number one vote getter. It's mm-hmm. been a while. Um, probably because people are still listening to the contiguous segment on the NCAA tournament. God, that scarred you, didn't it? It really deeply, deeply hurt me. I don't um, know why. I apologize. really liked it. All right. Post-apology, people. All right. Um, anyways, we're into Sports Planer, and I felt like this is going to drop after the NBA Finals are over. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's being recorded bef- right before. I mean, literally, the first game of the NBA Finals is Thursday night, so just a couple days from now. And um, regardless of what happens here, because I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do this. The NBA Finals have not happened yet. Mm-hmm. They will happen uh, after this episode gets recorded, but before it gets released. I will go out on a limit and say, by the time people hear this, LeBron James will have lost his, what, sixth or seventh NBA Finals at this point. He will, he will have lost. The, the Cleveland Cavaliers will have lost to the Golden State Warriors. And by some miracle, he may have made it to six games, but I don't even know if that's possible because the Cleveland Cavaliers as a team are terrible. Okay? Okay. But when that happens, we're going to have a, a continued conversation about where does LeBron James stand in the game of basketball in terms of all-time greatness. Where does LeBron James stand against Michael Jordan in terms of basketball and all-time greatness? And what does it mean to be an all-time great or the all-time greatest? See, now I'm intrigued because I hear this conversation all the time, as I'm sure many other nerds do, and I would love anything to say so as to give the appearance that I know what the fuck anyone is talking about. Okay, great. So help us out with those talking Let's points. fucking do it. Okay, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with this topic, and it sounds like there may be a few of you, all right? So here's the crux of the bit. Michael Jordan is widely regarded as the greatest, if not one of the two or three greatest basketball players of all time. There are certainly arguments to be made that other people are greater than Michael Jordan, Wilt Chamberlain, 
Bill Russell, these people who have had like these, you know, kind of atmospheric careers. But by and large, if you were to pull 100 people, my guess is that Michael Jordan would win the majority of the vote as greatest basketball player of all time. I don't think that I need to defend Jordan. What, what I do want to do today is defend that we have a weird definition of greatness in the modern era and that there's an argument to be made for LeBron James. So I want to hash out that debate a little bit and then talk about kind of like how to come down somewhere on it. Mm-hmm. That's the splainer part. So here's the deal. Uh, Michael Jordan, in case you don't know, um, won six championships while playing with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Six championships in the modern NBA is pretty fucking incredible. There are only a few teams who, in the history of the sport, have ever approached that many championships, let alone one person who has won that many championships. Okay. Not only has Jordan won six championships while playing for the Bulls, Jordan is 6-0 and in the NBA Finals, which means that the, the NBA playoffs happen in a tournament-style system. You play against another team in a best-of-seven series or best-of-five series for a little while. A best-of-seven series... The winner of that series moves on to the next round. You do this until you get to the finals, which pits the best team out of the Eastern Conference against the best team out of the Western Conference. There's a best of seven series. The first team to win four of those games wins the NBA championship. Um, can I chime in here? Yeah. In the hope of this would be a thing I would say yeah. to sports people in hopes that they passed over me as passing their tests yeah. and went on and ignored me. Yeah. Um, but is is the sort of argument there is that Jordan also had Pippen, he also had Rodman, right? He also had a far better team yes. than LeBron James has yes. ever had. That's exactly so. So this is kind of so th- this is where the argument gets interesting. So Jordan is six and zero in NBA Finals, mm-hmm. and he was the NBA Finals MVP every time he won a championship. Yeah. So six Finals appearances, six championships, six Finals MVP awards. Uh, LeBron, there's a gap in there because if you remember or don't remember, Michael Jordan also left basketball for a period of time to go be, play play baseball. Oh, I do. I uh-huh. saw Space Jam. Yeah, absolutely, you did. And like, if you ever do any like research on why he leaves basketball, there's actually some really interesting theories out there that he was asked to leave the game because of his betting habits and it was becoming bad for the league, et cetera, et cetera. And so he took a little break. He came back. The Bulls started winning again. That's great. Um, on the other side of that is LeBron James, who is drafted out of high school by the Cleveland Cavaliers, widely regarded as the second coming, lives up to all of the hype, takes a, a penniless Cleveland Cavaliers team to the NBA Finals for the first time in like for fucking ever. Um, Good in his film appearances. Great in his film appearances. Is he, that a thing to mention in the sports It talk? totally is. I mean, it's also seems... Better actor than Jordan. Well... We'll give him that. Space Jam was quality. LeBron James in Trainwreck, though... Oh, Hysterical. Hysterical. We're talking intercourse is such a good line. Um, (laughs) Anyways, so LeBron um, takes the Cleveland Cavaliers, his hometown team. He grew up in Akron Mm -hmm. to the NBA Finals. They do not win. He leaves Cleveland after losing to the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. Finals I understand that was a point of contention. It was. People are burning his jersey in the streets. (laughs) He's a hometown guy. He's supposed to be the second coming. He never wins a championship, so he leaves. He goes to Miami. He forms a super team with the Miami Heat with Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade. They lose their first year in the finals against the Dallas Mavericks because Dirk Nowitzki has this like atmospheric performance. It's kind of like this weird, you know, sometimes people just get on a run and Dirk Nowitzki got on a run. But then they went back to back championships. They lose to the Spurs. Uh, LeBron leaves Miami, goes back to Cleveland. And then he gets into this run where he's now about to make his eighth NBA finals appearance in a row. In a row, which means he has not lost an Eastern Conference Finals or Eastern Conference Playoffs series in eight years, seven years. That's fucking crazy, okay? But in those finals appearances, he is three and five, I think. 
uh, and will likely be three and six after the Golden State Warriors, who are a super team in and of their own right and arguably the most prolific offense in the history of the NBA. I have heard about them. And yes. That tells me something. That's right. Like, they're, that they're, has to pierce a hard level of ignorance. It absolutely does. And they're about to beat him for uh, what will be three out of the last four years, except for... Uh, the second meeting of those two teams in which LeBron actually does win a championship for Cleveland. The city rejoices. It's a major, you know, kind of like... Didn't the coach of the Golden State Warriors also recently ball out the NFL for being yeah. bitches about the pledge thing? Yeah, Steve Kerr. So there are a couple... That's of, a solid PR move. Yeah, Steve Kerr... That's all I can comment on game-wise, but like... He's like a group of a small gaggle of NBA coaches who are real aggressive politically. Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich from the San Antonio yeah, Spurs. Papa Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, that motherfucker, he, he doesn't... <laughs> Like Donald Trump, he doesn't. I mean, he's just willing to be open about it. Anyways, so the question becomes, um, who who is greater? Because Jordan's got six championships, he's never lost. LeBron has been will now be in his ninth or tenth finals. He's three and five in those, probably about to be three or three and six. Um, but how do you evaluate greatness? And so that's the crux of the question. So you've already pointed this a little bit, right? Jordan plays with. Scottie Pippen, legends, who we don't talk about often because he played with Michael Jordan. Scottie Pippen is probably like one of the forty or fifty greatest basketball players of all time. Like, I, yeah. I think it might be forty, might be yeah, my, too high of right. a number. Yeah. yeah, the the man is like universally regarded as one of the best players, not only of his era but of all time. Consistency is a thing in sports, and Pippen was a rock. Right, exactly. He right? would put up the same number of points. The man, he would swat the same number of people every fucking game. Yeah, and he was happy playing as a second to Michael Jordan, which is hard to find. Yeah. You know, it's hard to find someone who's willing to do that. And Jordan played with Dennis Rodman for a couple of those championships, which no one had seen right. at that point in the NFL. Well, I mean, you know, it widely regarded again as one of the greatest defenders of all time. Came over from Detroit, mm-hmm. um, has this reputation, is like clearly one of the best defenders slash rebounders Better ever. Better Korean relations than Donald Trump than anyone apparently. <laughs> um, and then there's some like spot players in there. Steve Kerr, for example, the Golden State Warriors coach, yeah. won won two or three championships with the Bulls as a really good shooter. So there are. There are some great people in the story Jordan career. And then in the LeBron career, um, things get a little bit more dicey. In Miami, he has two co-stars, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Arguable that Chris Bosh really fits the co-star role. In Cleveland, he's largely dragged a number of... Uh, well, well, I heard someone refer to the Michelle Beadle on ESPN's Get Up, for example, referred to the Cleveland Cavaliers as corpses. He's been dragging corpses behind him <laughs> for a number of years into the NBA Finals, which is hard to do. Um and so all of that to say is there is a lot of question around is putting a team on your shoulders and doing that much work greatness in and of itself. Mm. And so for those of you who hear this kind of talk happening and want, want to know how to navigate it, here's my bit. That greatness is a really tough thing to figure out. And one of the reasons I like watching any, any great basketball player, any great sports star, is I like watching greatness. But is there something to not being surrounded by greatness and bringing it behind you. You know, backpacking people who would otherwise be at the bottom of the barrel in the NBA, probably in a lot of ways, backpacking them to a championship greatness as compared to six championships. And for me, the problem that we've run into is that we lack such nuance, despite the fact that we have more sports talk television shows, sports talk radio shows, sports writers, sports blogs. We have lost nuance in our conversations around sports that all we can do is measure championships. And I think that's fucking garbage. Uh, Six championships versus three championships is an indicator of something. But I don't know that it should be such a qualitative or quantitative indicator to deny the kind of greatness that you see happening around you right now. We've lost nuance in this conversation. Uh, One thing I've heard in the... I I actually have read some things about this sort of debate between... um, 
uh, LeBron versus uh, Jordan. And one thing I've heard is that the quality of the average player uh, in in the periods is like technically the players are on average way more skilled, way more skilled. So like he Jordan would not be Jordan today. That's right. That's exactly. Right. And and I'm not. E- I agree with that. And I don't even know that you have to win the like post hoc, like non falsifiable. We'll put Jordan in today's NBA. You know what I mean? That thing, because you can't, but we can say this. LeBron is also playing, for example, he's going to take on the golden state warriors in two days for the fourth year in a row. The golden state warriors feature Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, two-time MVP, Kevin Durant, one-time MVP. Solid beard. Yo, yeah. Impressive beard. And Clay Thompson, who is probably one of the 10 or 15 best players in the league currently and will go down in history as one of the five to seven best shooters of all time. I mean, no question. What, what we're talking about here, I mean, you can look back at some of those Jordan teams and be like, yeah, the Pistons were good and the Knicks had some good players, but Jordan was not routinely going up against people who were arguably also the best players in, in the history of the game over and over and over again. And at least well, being competitive. Well, he went Bird. And stuff like that. Yeah, but, but I mean, we're talking we're talking late bird. We're talking like yeah, later magic. Late you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. bird magic is more of the rivalry there. Yeah. Um, you know, sure. You make arguments around uh, those guys in Detroit who are killing it. Um, Isaiah Thomas, for example. But by and large, we're talking about LeBron routinely playing against four championships. The next three guys who are probably on the list of top four, top top four, four to top seven players in the NBA. That's fucking, I mean, that's incredible. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm only familiar with this sort of dream match conversation in like UFC and boxing. Right. And it's very different because there's not a team component. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, So, yeah, that is an interesting take on it. So, and something you can say to get out of that conversation without losing face. That's exactly right. Just to to take that away, nerds. So, hot take by the time you hear this, chances are LeBron James has lost another championship. If he hasn't, fucking great. Because I am all for LeBron getting another championship because I like having these conversations and I'm tired of people acting like these conversations can't happen until LeBron gets three more championships. Yeah. That lacks nuance and is not interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my hot take on sports. All right. Spencer, what are you drinking? So this is from the Virginia Beer Co. It's the Rhenish Rye, W-R-E-N-I-S-H. So it's from Cranes. hey That's what I learned about that. I know what words mean. I don't I don't know what words mean. <laughs> um, what is even a word? Yeah, I don't... It's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's like the epitome of a, of a plane... Um, I guess it's not bad. It's, it's a plain not, hot dog. It's not offensive. It's fine. It's can fine. I, can I try that plain hot dog? Yeah, for sure. It's fine. Said Caleb never. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't have a lot of flavor, I guess. Like there's a little bit on the front and you're like, Oh, and then just, and then just it's water. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, I drink that in a new backer. Hey, new backer. Party foul. Don't I know found. if we mentioned it. Party foul, the game. Party no, foul, drunk game. New backer. Uh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Thank, thanks. New backer. Um, and that new backer's name is. Jarius. Thank you, Jarius. Thank you, Jarius. Or Jarius. Sure. I don't know how it's said. Whatever your name is, thank the, you so the much. The J and the A are capitalized and nothing else is. So Jarius. Yeah. Maybe okay. he likes jorts. <laughs> okay. Um, hey, we're into... <laughs> I'm not going to put that on the backer. <laughs> we're, uh, we're into Ask Mixed Six. 
And James Burns coming in hot with a good question. Man, real good. Also want to say thanks to James Burns, who has been... James Burns and Darren Pretty, in particular, have have used Board Game Geek long enough to understand its language. So they've been Board Game Geek translating to me things that we could be doing. We owe you a salary. To be clear, we cannot afford it. That's right. But we owing it is very different than being able to provide it. But you guys are doing work, and we appreciate it so much. Very much so. So James... Um, he came in hot with a great question with the show, the toys that made us on season two, by the way, if you've not watched that on Netflix, it's very interesting. The toys that made us, I really enjoyed a couple of those episodes. What toys made you from your childhood? Mm, The exciting good question. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna let you go first. For nerds like us. Uh, I would be remiss if at the very first point I didn't mention GI Joe's cause Holy God. And I'm talking like, Need the, the you got to have the rubber band pelvis GI Joes, yeah, not yep. the not the dolls for boys GI Joes, rubber band pelvis GI Joes defined me as a child. Like I learned to write using like fanfic of my rubber band pelvises GI Joes, like just acting out every possible scenario. Yeah. Played with them for way too long than was socially appropriate for a person of. An age that I shall not disclose <laughs> in a public forum. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, I was obsessed with them. I, If I see one today, I will still pick it up as a yard sale and just sort of like keep it around. Right. Buy it. I'm like that. Um, but yes, and I mean, I played with these motherfuckers. Yeah. They yeah. were not left in the box. There was no collector anything. They got used until they literally snapped in half, like uh-huh. Deadpool and uh-huh. Deadpool 2. hey um, So, yeah. Spoiler. A um, couple of things on the list here. I'm going to start with the Ninja Turtles. All of them. Just all of the Ninja Turtles. That was toys. actually my second one. Yes. yes. Um, they Did are- you have the sort of like uh, clubhouse sort of like sewer? Yes. Yes, yes, I had do. that one as well. Oh, I think I had all of them. In fact, they're all still in my basement. Uh, I am not lying to you people. We had, uh, well, you've probably, hopefully you've listened to the episode where we talk about our successful yard sale. Yes. From last year, mm-hmm. I think. Um, during that yard sale. <laughs> you've heard the yard sale episode, right? right? Yeah. During that yard that, sale, a, that banger? <laughs> a vintage toy collector showed up. I took him into my basement and showed him my tubs and tubs of vintage toys, which includes, I think, all of the original Ninja Turtle stuff. Mm-hmm. And he told me that there are thousands of dollars worth of toys in my basement, which is which is eight-year-old me being like, well, yeah, duh, because we spent thousands of dollars of getting toys in my basement, probably. But 32-year-old me is like, holy shit. Like, those things held their value. Um, in particular, the pizza shooter, the the vehicle that you drop pizzas in the oh, top. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I would just walk around with that thing shooting pizzas at shit. <laughs> um, dogs, non-animals, walls, <laughs> some people, depending. Um, I was a nuisance to society because of the Ninja Turtles pizza shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Ninja Turtles is first on my list. Next. Uh, for me, it's definitely going to be, if you're going to cover Ninja Turtles yeah. for us, because yeah. I agree, uh, Ghostbusters. Yep. I had Ghostbusters everything. Did you have the uh, the firehouse? Yep. The, the whole... With the pole and Still everything that put they go together, down. sitting in my basement. Yes, with uh, the that flag is on that it. is super impressive. Yep. I have sold mine and I have regretted it. I have both the Ghostbusters fire station in almost perfect working condition. I do not have the ooze that you could dump down the top of it anymore because you know time. Sitting next to the Krang base. Yeah, we we've talked about. Um, yeah, I combined the two. I was fanficking the hell out sure, of that. Sure. Yeah, the turtles were wandering around in the sewers, 
underneath the Ghostbusters, neither of the, and I didn't even ship them. They just knew each, they neither knew the other existed. Right. I was just happy to know they existed within the same physical space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ghostbusters, we've talked about that defining us as a film. The only exercise I got as a child was running around with a proton pack yeah, the, on. Yeah, the toys were nothing if not mnemonic devices to help me remember every line of the film. Better. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. He's so. looking at me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so Ghostbusters was really important to me. Ninja Turtles was really important to me. The He-Man Power Sword. Ooh. With, I had some He-Man toys. I don't want to oh say they define me. But. So the with the brown hilt and then the yellow sword that lit up and made wonderful clashing noises and turned like red and blue. Um, some things have memories and all, all you can attach to them are like some color flashes and some feelings. That's what the He-Man Power Sword is for me. Also, my dad would absolutely kill you if um, he heard me telling the story. Um, but he, we got two He-Man power swords so we could fight in the front yard because He-Man needed to fight somebody. And he got so frustrated with me for one day because I was being such a shit <laughs> that he chucked my He-Man power sword onto the roof of our house and it lived in my gutter for a few days. <laughs> Producer Ross adding his own sound effects what are you, there. What are you doing? I don't know. Looking at the He-Man power sword? <laughs> no, uh-huh. it's just... Mm-hmm. I clicked on a toy... Sound effect. High five. <laughs> yes, yes! We did it! Nailed it. <laughs> Who knew we just had to get him distracted like a cat with yarn, and he would he would end up making noise. Uh, last thing on your list, toys that defined you. Oh man, um, it's probably gonna have to be Super Soakers. Oh yeah, we've done. I this. loved a good uh, water gun fight. I know, I know, we're different here, so but different. I had a dizzying array of Super Soakers. I collected Super Soakers like people collected Nerf guns. Yeah, and we had a hell of a water fight to the point where, like, I think that's where I learned tactics. Like. <laughs> Like in terms of like gaming and stuff, uh-huh. I'm just like, all right, you need to you need you to flank. Go, you need to go out there and get soaked, Danny. He's like, why? Because then they'll then they'll feel the blood. Right. They'll they'll get the bloodlust and they'll rush into the backyard. It's like, why we need them in the backyard? Well, Danny, the hose, <laughs> the hose is the ultimate super soaker. <laughs> like just just really like planning out. Yeah. There were there may Drawing have been maps. Yes. Yeah. I I'm not gonna lie. I did that. Yeah. Like. It got it got intense. Uh, we may have measured ranges at one point. Wow! I was too into super soakers. I had for I, like two or three summers. I was disturbingly into super. Soakers. I had quite a few super soakers, but I didn't. And it's the only outside play I got. So right. to be clear, it's probably the only reason I've lived so long, which is not very long. I didn't but. want them to get used on me. Is the thing like I was happy to have them and fill them up and shoot them at things, but I didn't actually want to get in a water gun. No fight. man, buy the ticket, take the ride. Yeah, you got to go after it. You know, only thing I'd tack on here probably Legos. Um, I spent a copious amount of time putting together Legos. Not a Lego kid. And and um, here's kind of a weird thing. Like I I think I did Legos backwards. Uh, I know a lot of people get like just random Legos and they build random shit. I actually started buying Lego sets and putting things together very specifically by the instructions. And then over time, built a collection of just a bunch of fucking Lego pieces from breaking those things down that then I started experimenting. Mm-hmm. But by the time I got old enough, I got like really self-conscious about my Lego creation, so I stopped doing that. And then I gave away my Lego tub for $5 at, at last year's yard sale. Which was the right move. It was the right move. Yeah. Thanks, Legos. <laughs> um, okay, another beer. And on the next side, a mock draft. Caleb, what are you drinking? What am I drinking? I am drinking Aleworks. Works spelled with an E, which yeah. is 
Nice. Uh-huh. I like it. Uh-huh. Works. It, it's edgy. Works. Aleworks Works. Brewing Company's Paycheck Porter, a robust American porter with a rich character, which is a solid subtitle. Feels classy to me. It's a lot. Uh, I'm going to give it a shot. Feels like you've had sent like like run on sentence beers all day. Yeah, I can't see the label. It's a kind of an old timey label. Yeah, I don't love the label. I got to be honest. I'm going to give it a mustard. It's a smoky porter, but it's like a cigar I want to smoke. You smoky porter, sir, are just giving away the goods today. Maybe because they're good beers, Spencer. Mm. Look, man, we have a statistical distribution. We've had episodes of nothing above a two. Man. That's true. All That's right? true. You you. You got to give me. There are good beers. For you'll the bad give days, me an episode. There are the good days. Yeah. Okay. I've given a five, a three, and a four. So that's not bad. Pretty I just solid. lucked out. Um, hey, we're into the mix six mock draft, and it actually feels like, granted, because we've artificially contrived some ways to not do these every episode, that it's been a hot minute since we mock drafted. Maybe it hasn't. I don't know. Couldn't give a fuck. I just right. want to do another mock draft. Because here we are, and we have a really interesting suggestion for a mock draft today from Greg Bennett. Greg Bennett says, using only members of rock bands, living or dead, form a new incarnation of Mystery Inc., making sure to pick people to fill the roles of Freddy, Daphne, Velma, and Shaggy. Also, pick an animal, machine, band mascot, whatever the fuck, to fill the role of Scooby. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but Caleb and I are Scooby-Doo experts. We did watch the entire <laughs> WWE special That's right. at Metatopia. We were very hungover and needed <laughs> something to do while we recovered, so we did watch one and one half hours of Cartoon Network's Scooby-Doo. John Cena was great. Fantastic. So, as you know, it's a mock draft. We roll to see who goes first, so... Here's the thing I want to suggest before we roll. Uh Uh-oh. Not snake order. You just want to go back and forth? I think we got to compare Freds and Freds, Daphne and Daphne's, Velma's and Velma's. Snake order's going to fuck it all up. Okay. Well, I'm with you on that. Here we go. I rolled a two. Feels good. I'm going to roll a four. Okay. All right. I'm going to go first. Take it away, girl. Ooh, what should I pick? What should I pick? Um, I think we're going to have to go starting with Fred. Okay. I'm going to start with Fred. And I'm going to redact that now. I'm going to go with Rivers Como from Weezer yeah. as Fred. If he can be Buddy Holly, he can be Fred. Like, give him some contacts so he doesn't have the glasses. You know, dress him like the Weezer video. Ascot. Ascot. Rivers Camo can pull it off. Now, here's the thing. Everyone's kind of over Rivers Camo and Weezer. Yeah. But everyone's kind of over Fred all the time. I don't know that that's totally true. So this uh, is what's definitely true for me. I, I want to know that. I want I want you to know this. I almost made this exact pick because I think it's a pretty good pick. That's why I went first. Right. Where I fell off the wagon with... I think my other shit is way, with way edgy. Rivers Cuomo is that... Um, I think Fred needs to be a little fun-loving, and Fred needs to be pioneering. Like, he's willing to just, like, run into a room and see what the fuck happens. And I just don't feel that way about Rivers Cuomo. He kind of seems to be the opposite of that for me. Like, people don't really care for him, but the group seems to care for Fred. So I decided to add the socio-emotional aspect back into things, and instead of Rivers Cuomo, I picked Dave Grohl, who might be America's Fred. He's got a shave... And I don't think you can convince Dave Grohl to do that. So get him to shave. And frankly, at that, who wouldn't follow Dave Grohl into a dark and stormy? He world? hasn't shaved since uh, the ever the the video with the big hands. Yep, that one. He hasn't shaved since that. So okay, it's been, it's been fifteen years since that man shaved. Well, but if that's where I mean, Rivers Cuomo isn't blonde. I mean, if that's what we're <laughs> doing here, then I don't know that we've got much of an argument. I just think that. There's something gregarious and outgoing and egalitarian about Dave Grohl, and that's what I think you need in a Fred. Yeah. Okay, next pick. All right. Uh, You want a leader, and I will admit Dave Grohl is a leader. Yeah, amen. Uh, So, 
I'm going to go for some hotter picks here. Okay. Uh, Daphne, I'm going to go with Christian D.D. Welichez, goes by D.D., of the Dumb Dumb Girls, which is a New York uh, sort of, like, I, I'm going to call it 60s. It's not quite psychedelica, but like 60s all-girl band, sort of. Okay, um, okay. okay. Uh, band is named in homage to Iggy Pop. That's going to come up later. Likes to dress, um, dress up and wear wigs, which is what you need for someone who is a Daphne. So they play shows in elaborate outfits. You need Daphne oh, okay. looking dressed to the nines. You need her playing something sort of poppy, which is hard to find amongst like girl rockers because obviously you're competing in a very male-centric universe and you're doing to, you know going to have to try and attack that. She does that in lyrics, but the music itself is sort of like intensely sort of like bubble gummy. Um, and the outfits are sort of intricate like Daphne would wear. I think that you've you've pinned the 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 essence of Daphne here. I'm, yeah. I'm with you that there's something there's some depth there though too there beneath is. that outfit. Right, right. Which we've seen in the the supernatural Scooby Doo. Yes. The WWE Scooby Doo like they there might be a 50-50 clue distribution amongst Daphne and Velma in the modern Scooby Doo, which is interesting that they're not giving Velma all the weight anymore. Right. That it's that in its obvious um, capitulation to societal norms. Yeah. It is in fact aggressively subversive. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. So so I think you've pinned that so well that I think I offer a reasonably good counterpick here, and that's Florence Welch of Florence and the Machine. <laughs> a, she just looks like Daphne. Okay, so I mean, on the nose, like it, we are casting here. You're right. That's we not, are. That's not an unfair consideration. The woman looks like Daphne hath grown up. You All know right. what I mean? But B is that um, she curiously walks a line that I think you've identified really well, which which is overtly feminine. I mean, it's beautiful and stunning but also terribly aggressive and wild. I mean, taking her shoes off and just losing her shit in front of people during these incredibly operatic solos and whatnot, it is the best blend of both hyper-feminine and also, like, um, uh, not aggressive, but, sur- but subversive. Yeah, I think you've used the right word. And so so now what we're talking about here is a van full of Dave Grohl and Florence Welsh of Florence and the Machine. This is a fun fucking van, man. <laughs> it is a fun van. Okay. I will give you that. Next on the list. Um, I'm going to go for Velma. Uh, and this is something I've been very recently turned on to. Sorry. I'm going to go with uh, Courtney Barnett. All right. Uh, singer-songwriter out of Australia. Um, brilliant singer-songwriter. Some of the best lyrics I've heard in years. I've been only turned on to her for like a month now, but damn, it, it has been really amazing. And uh, yeah, she is whip-smart. Um, she's going to dress comfortably, which Velma is going to dress comfortably. Um, doesn't have a strong appearance, but I think she can do the I am smarter than everyone else. In the oh, band. yeah, yeah, yeah. You think that's else. Um, Avant Gardener is a fucking fantastic song. It's literally a song about her going to the garden and gardening and having an asthma attack. And that's the only. Pr- and uh, there's a series where she's in the in the ambulance getting like saved. And the paramedic tells her, I think you're intelligent because you can play guitar. And the response of that lyric is, I think you're intelligent because you stop people dying. <laughs> and it is very, very good. And I want I want that sort of like whip smart witticism mm-hmm. in my Velma. And mm-hmm. I think Courtney Barton as a singer songwriter brings that to the table. That sounds like a very Velma song. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Yeah. It does. Um, again, I think you have hewn out of a rock the essence of Velma. Um, let me make a counterpick there. You do want someone who is whip smart, but someone who has also turned whip smart into a style. 
You know what I mean? That that's the thing they're living now. And I think someone has done this very well on two separate occasions, and that's Jenny Lewis, a.k.a. Rilo Kiley. Mm. So both Rilo Kiley albums, which are a little bit about making you understand that she's a little bit smarter than you because of the lyrics she's written, but also kind of like the interesting pop music she's made underneath them, but also then making a style of being unique and interesting. The Jenny Lewis and the Watson Twins stuff is folksy. It's interesting. Um, it's it's kind of turned into a jukebox and back. Here. A little yeah. bit, yeah. It's oddly unique, and yet it feels like, well, yeah, that's Jenny Lewis. And I think that, you know, to your point, Velma, well, yeah, that's Velma. You know what I mean? Plus... Jenny Lewis has a, has an astounding voice, um, and I think that there's something to Velma's wit and Velma's brilliance, which is it shines through all other instances, not unlike Jenny Lewis's uh, heavenly pipes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Shaggy should be next on the list, yes? All right, so Shaggy, I went largely with looks. Like, what is a hippie in the modern day? How are we going to bring the Shaggy persona into the modern day without just like going back in time and casting a member of the Grateful Dead. And I'm going to go with Father John Misty. He's in a weird tweed suit at all times. He's got a crazy unkempt beard. He just looks unsettlingly on drugs. Just a twitchy man. He's a very, he looks like the sort of man who would talk to a dog. Which is what you need out of yeah, Shaggy. That's a pretty good um, and and the fact that he's a brilliant singer songwriter and he'll get along with everyone else in the van right. is just is just icing on the cake from yeah. the fact that he is a he's a very twitchy, looks like he's easy to scare, um, <laughs> and he looks like he would have a conversation with an animal unapologetically as compared to everyone around. I I gotta be honest, I went with a different direction in Shaggy here, and and um, yours makes sense because that's Shaggy's thing, right? Yeah. Like he's he's the druggie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went for the you know, Shaggy is also um, like the calm one because of all the marijuana, I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, he's also the one that's just like generally, but for the part where there are like ghosts and or people pretending to be ghosts, he's just looking to have a good time. Mm-hmm. So I thought, who in musical history is the guy that represents like, hey man, I'm just here for the party, let's all be cool and get along. Tom Petty, I think, would be an exceptional Shaggy. Like peak Tom Petty or Tom Petty now? Uh, well, definitely not Tom Petty now. Uh, so I guess like peak Tom Petty. Yeah, I mean, um, there's some musicality in there. There's definitely some drug use in there, but he's living his best life because of the drug use. I'm not so sure about talking to the dog bit. Yeah, probably a little bit, but I think Father John Misty's got him there. But I think the ethos of calm and relaxed Shaggy is is Tom Petty. Also of note, neither of us actually picked the musician named Shaggy here. Well, obviously not. Well, obviously. He'd be yeah. a terrible pick. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Deep Sh- cut. Shaggy is not the right choice for Shaggy. Last on the list, Scooby-Doo. All right. Is this, this where is, the Iggy Pop thing comes back? It's literally Iggy Pop. Oh, okay. And yeah. here's the thing. Iggy Pop as the man. No shame. We've seen that across 40 years. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. He will pretend to be a dog emphatically. And he will pretend to be a dog right now, in the past. Take him at any point in his life. He will pretend to be Scooby-Doo. He will wear the collar. He will talk in the voice. He will do all those things. Furthermore, I don't know if you heard the song, but he clearly said, I want to be your dog. Right. He was born to play this role. He's asking for it. Um, so Iggy Pop's going to get along great with Dee Dee. 
Uh, Rivers Cuomo's gonna hate him. Uh, well, Rivers Cuomo's supposed to drive the fucking van, and that's his only goddamn job. Well, yeah. uh, he's a Fred, all right. He is a he's that's, that's he's reductive. a tour bus that's manager and no cool. more. He's a tour bus manager with an ascot. No one cares about my Fred. goodness. Um, so Iggy Pop is my Scooby Doo, and I don't apologize for anything. I was worried that that you were actually going to choose because in the question, Greg says uh, choose an animal, machine, band mascot, whatever the fuck to fill the role. If Scooby. Iggy Pop does not fall into whatever the fuck yeah. I don't think you understand the category no 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 so that's good because I also went with a human yeah but a human who I thought would make sense as a Scooby-Doo so in a similar vein I've chosen Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers ooh that's a good pick right because that's a very Iggy Pop pick it, 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 but it's modern Iggy Pop right yeah and I think the trick here is one of the things that Flea gets about being a Scooby is that Scooby not only needs to be all of the things you described he also needs to be effective and it's hard to argue that Flea has been a terribly effective member of a terribly effective band for a long fucking time. Yeah. So I think you get the best of Iggy Pop without some of the worst of Iggy Pop, and there is some worse in there. And you get effective. Well, Scooby Doo's a dog. There's. Right. It's not all wine and roses. Wow, man. He just poop on stuff. You He's a dog. Like I don't love either your hot take on Fred or Scooby Doo right now. Flea is not connected to the Scooby Doo seed. Like Iggy Pop is. Iggy Pop is watching Scooby Doo episodes a turn. with Bowie in West Berlin apartments. Like he is connected to the oeuvre, the base of Scooby Doo. I don't know that that's what they were can, doing. Can, As I, Fleek can I never suggest hope to a be. compromise, uh, Scooby Doo? You can try. Uh, Henry Rollins? I mean, no. Okay. He I mean, would talk way too much. He would talk too way too. He, I mean, he's also not he, a Scooby Doo was not an intentionally homicidal maniac. <laughs> He'd put his heart into the role. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't think that's what I don't. If you asked Henry Rollins what his bit was, I don't think he'd say <laughs> putting my heart into the role is what I'm saying. I don't, every time Another I've thing seen I'll it. say for Iggy Pop is yeah. that Scooby is also weirdly and unexpectedly intellectual at times. I don't know if you heard, but Iggy Pop wrote a doctoral dissertation about the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, which you can read online, and that got him a degree. Counterpoint, Flea was in Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Well, on we'll that, leave it there. On that strong rebuttal. We'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Uh, drunk Enough is next. Spencer, what are you drinking? Our finer, final beer today is Evolution Craft Brewing's Pine Hopple. The the just 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 the, I appreciate the that. wording is a, is a ketchup. Um, it's a pineapple India pale ale, and we were just talking about this. I've not I've seen a lot of beer try to use pineapple in an IPA, mm-hmm. and I've not seen it done really well. Like no. I didn't care for the pineapple sculpin from Ballast Point all that much. So here's to hoping. Here's to hop hopping. Uh, yeah. yeah, there he goes. Uh, he's, he's drinking it now. It's a bottle, by the way, not a can. For those of you who are really, you know, bottle versus can in terms of taste. Yeah, I mean, same problem as, as usual. There, there's a little pineapple on the back, but not enough to do what I think it wants to do. It's largely just a just a light IPA. You know, and it's, it, it's real hard to get the acidy taste of pineapple right, into and, a beer. And then it's a little sweet on the back end. Yeah. I, it's not offensive. I don't mind it. That's probably a, a plain hot dog for me. Um, I don't know that I'd go out of my way to find. Oh those. yeah, there's a pineapple. Yeah, it, no, exactly. Barely though. Right. Barely. Yeah. You got to wait for it. Yep. Yep. You really got to go find it, and and then it sticks around. But you know what? It's too late. Honestly, if someone could find a good beer that's about to fall over, which could legitimately cut some of the stuff I don't love about an IPA with some pineapple, 
I'd really like that fucking beer. Yeah. I just haven't found the thing yet. Yeah. Maybe a sour or something like that. I don't know. Maybe a, a pineapple sour. sour? I'd try it. Actually, I think I'd give it a shot. Doesn't Mickler hasn't Hasn't Mickler done a pineapple Berliner Weiss? I don't think we've done it on here. Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, what are we talking about? Mystery. Uh, We're going to talk about, and drunk enough, uh, our final topic in every episode. Um, Where is your line for sharing things? I'm not going to talk about just about the podcast, but in general. Information, right? But where is your line for sharing certain information? So the thing... TMI. Yeah. The thing that brought this up for me was that I have gone through some stuff in the last few weeks that I am not going to talk about on here Mm -hmm. pretty much ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we've also talked about like free will being a myth Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like a ton of other like real dark stuff. So like, I don't know where my line is for stuff that I will share versus stuff I won't share. Right. Which is um, interesting to me. Sure. Something to sort of investigate without any sort of predetermined conclusion, which is what this segment is all about. It's really what we do here. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is interesting. When you proposed it, um, so so let me just take a step. At, at some point, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about the Party Foul Kickstarter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and all of the things which have happened as part of the Party, party Foul Kickstarter and what got us where we are. This is not that time. Yeah. Um, but... But I can say as an analog, um, and this is my first Kickstarter, right, that I've been through. I mean, I mean, really, look, you know, I, I sat next to you during Red Markets, you know, I was yeah, so yeah, excited. Yeah. But, but th- I'm going through this one with you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, the whole thing has really been, um, it really opens up all of the things that you think might be down there. Uh, and then you find out they're down there sometimes. Yeah. And um, it's been really difficult, if I'm being totally honest. And the question has become... As people have been, and this is this is why it's a good analog for this. As, as people as people have been asking, or, or saying like, "Hey, the Kickstarter seems to be going well," or "How's the Kickstarter going?" or "How are you guys feeling?" You know, um, I have found myself navigating with these people. I'm just going to say, "Yeah, you know what? It's going great. Really happy." And with these people, I'm going to say, "Here's how I feel about how it's going." And with these people, I, I might even explain where we are in comparison to where we thought we would be in for a variety of reasons. And so I have learned even over the last week, because we're a week into this thing now that I have these really odd dynamic lines circles. Yeah. Yeah. Around who gets what shared with them. And sometimes I don't have a good rule for coming up with that stuff. And I'm learning that right now as I'm like kind of navigating these like deeply personal feelings I've been having. Is it directly proportional into like how personal the information is? Cause like we'll talk about existentialism all day on here. Right. But, like, something in which I'm more involved in might be something I only share with people I am more involved with. Because, like, I feel like that's where I've been at, but that feels alarmingly shallow. Which is not to say it isn't true. Right. But it is off-putting how, like, well, I'm more attached to it, so keep that in the closet. Yeah. As opposed to this other dark probably not um, pleasant to hear thing I'm willing to talk about open. I don't, that's a good question. Um, I, yeah, there's probably a little bit of that if I'm being totally honest. Like for example, with some people, especially when like things have been really slow or we've had like a particularly like difficult, you know, thing to go through or whatever. I mean, and, and look, all of this is relative. I understand the particularly difficult thing to go through with the Kickstarter is like, you know, not mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, not particularly difficult. I understand that. Yeah. Um, but, but to navigate how I've been feeling or whatever, I've probably been, yeah, I think that there's an inverse proportional relationship between how close I think we are as friends and how personal I think the information is. 
and the relationship between those two things. Maybe it's not inversely proportional. Maybe it's just proportional. If I think we're really close friends and and if it feels deeply personal, I'm much more willing to share that. I guess it's pretty strong correlation, actually. Um, I'm, I'm much more willing to kind of navigate the, like, guttural stuff than I am the, like, surface stuff. Like, well, yeah, but here's the math on the thing. You know what I mean? Because we've been doing a lot of math, for example. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean, we just need to average X and we'll get to Y. And if we get to Y, then we're only out Z and R or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty much willing to navigate the math with anybody. Um, See, and that's where I'm at well, with this. Yeah. With the thing you're talking about and everything else. Right. Like, I think it's like my level of personal engagement and really agency with the thing we're talking about. So, yeah. like, if anybody wants to hear it or will tolerate hearing it, I will tell anybody about, like, the shit that happened to me at work that I had no control over. Right. Right. But, like, my level of agency and control and the shame of how I acted or, like, failed to act right. will directly affect what I'm willing to share with people oh, about okay. a lot of stuff. Sure, sure, sure. And, like, I don't think that's – I don't know if that's certainly healthy because, like, does that help you own your mistakes? Is that a matter of, like, performative identity and, like, it's wise to hold that back? Or mm-hmm, – mm-hmm. yeah, I don't – I'm real tortured on that aspect. So so uh, what, what you're, you're kind of – you're talking about it in intrinsic language, right? Like that you're willing to share for, for this reason or that reason. But, but the other way of coming at that is like the level of risk involved, right? So when you feel like you have more agency, is your argument then that there's necessarily more risk associated in the loss to identity? I mean, it could, it could be that. Yeah. 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 Cause that's the thing I don't know about, right? Like, so for example, um, is it fundamentally different in me saying, well, we got this wrong versus, well, this thing happened, right? This external circumstance, and am I risking any agency in saying external circumstance happened uh, that we had no control over and all we could do is respond versus we just done fucked up? You know, what I mean? we goofed, you know what I mean, here and there? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think that the more I know you, um, that does not necessarily mean the more I am likely to risk with you, which is ascribe some agency or talk about some issues. It, it means that I'm more willing to... Uh, I'm more likely to understand if I'm willing to share these heavily and personally involved high agency moments. You know what I mean? Like just because I know you really well doesn't mean I'm willing to share that stuff. Maybe part of me knowing you really well means that I know you're not the person to share this like deeply personal and or risk based stuff with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or is it how much do you know me? Oh yeah. yeah Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah. How much are you going to be able to understand this as a flaw I've been working on? Right. For something I don't objectively see. Yeah, totally. Which I think again, it's 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 it all goes back to me for that performative identity aspect yeah. of it. It's like I'm very much acknowledging that I'm branding myself whether I want to or not. Right. And therefore I should perform as such. Yeah. But at the same time acknowledging that like that might not be psychologically healthy. Uh-huh. That might not be Truthful that right. might not be um, fully full of disclosure and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, but for some reason, the, just the phrase performative identity, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess there, yeah, maybe, maybe there are things that I worry about, like what's, what's the risk to how I am perceived as a person. And, and maybe deep down, that's the stuff that really stops me from doing things. And I'm just not admitting that. And, and obviously, that's probably the case in some instances. Um, but 
Yeah, and maybe it's just that I have like a really small bubble of people with whom I actually share what I consider information behind the wall. And so I don't have to worry about it. I don't have a good like performative identity barometer because it's a switch, not a dial for me. You're either you're either in a circle where I'm willing to risk that stuff or you're not. And everything else I just don't worry about as much. Does I don't know. I don't know. It's see, not so much a gradation see, one, thing for me. One thing that occurs to me here is that like I could be freaking people out by talking about this in such vague terms, right. especially with the Kickstarter still going. Yeah. So I don't want to do that. Right. So I'll be saying like the main thing I want to talk about here that I am not Hey, new backer. New backer. New backer. Speaking of Kickstarter. Um and to take that from a completely opposite is me fucking up the launch. Is that 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 was a moment of me meeting myself in the jungle, as Lord Jim would have said in old uh, Joseph Conrad, and being disappointed with what I saw. And I cannot um, overstate the level at which that fuck-up affected me. Um, It has altered my every viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't even process it at Mm -hmm. this point, um, fucking up the launch of this thing. So... I've at least said it exists now, so maybe right. that's a a moment moving towards it. But like my hesitancy to say it exists, right. even though like anyone with a knowledge of Kickstarter statistics, right, will obviously see it exists. Yeah. Um, is strong, right? Uh, even though it shouldn't be, because like I've acknowledged at many point that like humans are humans and humans fuck up, right? But I don't hold myself to that same standard, right? You don't, in Congress, yeah. so, um, and. Yeah, I didn't want to. Maybe this was my way of back way talk backwards talking into that. Right. I, yeah, I wanted to talk about it, but I couldn't talk. No, I totally understand that, and I think, but I think that um, maybe setting a framework for how to talk about it is part of the. And, and, and look, at some point, right? This is kind of the core of whatever this 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 group discussion is all the time. Mm-hmm. It's establishing a vocabulary academically or otherwise for a thing so that you can introduce personal experience into the thing, right? I mean, all of this is a vehicle for that. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that was, that's partially what we've accomplished here. Um, And so, and and in some ways that creates kind of like a a safe space for, for that to cross. And I know it doesn't feel terribly safe, which is why you make, you know, such a large, a long bridge of it in the first place. Um, It, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm pretty open about stuff, and I am, but I'm open about stuff like, for example, how this is all gone and the stress of it and, 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 and the elation of all of it, too, because, you know, I don't want this to just go down in history as, yeah, we botched the launch. Also, like, not we. Well, whatever. I mean, look, we <laughs> clearly we, and I th- this ship was going down together or it was sailing together is how I feel about that. Yeah. Um, uh, but but also like yesterday while we were sitting around playing a board game, I got to fund my first Kickstarter. You yeah. know what I mean? Like with one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like so, um, for me, um, you know, the whole sharing about it, I've been very open to share with pretty much anyone who's asked like, "How's it going?" And wasn't just looking for like a cursory like, "Hey, good work." It's got a dollar sign attached to it. If people have wanted to have conversations, I've been pretty willing and open to talk about those. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I think I'll get there, but like. This I do think this topic goes deeper than like the current thing I'm struggling with because like one thing that we we were struggling for drunk enough today, right? And one thing um, Sarah suggested was dealing with your in laws, mm. and I'm like, well, I think the first rule is don't talk about that shit on a podcast, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. A, a publicly shared medium, <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe maybe don't make that a public forum, and that would be the number one rule to do that, yeah. And um. But that's the thing. Like we've talked about other stuff that yeah. might be arguably 
equally Even controversial or stupider to talk about or less useful right that's right than the sort of dealing with your in-laws thing and yeah. i'm like i'm still not gonna we're still not doing that one right we're not doing that one ever ever um so yeah it sort of got to me from like that in addition to what i was going through sort of got me into the singles like well, where's that line right. is, it, is it totally based on like nearness to me because then that doesn't feel like a real accurate line at all then well, it's certainly not a consistent line, right? Yeah, like, you, if, yeah. if it's sort of nearness to my personality or, right. like, whatever I think of as a sense of self, yeah. like, if it's based upon that, then right. the things I'm sharing, I'm not really sharing? Right, exactly, right. Yeah, yeah. then that's that's kind of fucked up. And in moments of bravado, it doesn't feel like sharing as much as it does, like, declaring, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, we're going to tell a great story about this, and, and it's like, yeah, mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. what we're, what we're going to do is decide when it feels right, either based on time or space or the consumption of alcohol doing away with diminishing some of your, you know, inhibitions, um, what feels right and not feels right to share. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I have good rules other than I know that some people exist in a category where I feel pretty good sharing most, if not all things. And by and large, the rest of people do not even approach that category. Yeah. And it, it is people with whom I share most things, uh, a moat the size of Texas, mm-hmm. and then people with whom I do not share ever, you know, much of anything yeah. or, or anything that I feel like is like really deeply personal and meaningful. That being said, don't confuse. We talk about a lot of stuff. You're right on this podcast that is probably personal, but it does not for me fit inside such a small box that it only gets shared with a small few people. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like the, there's some keystone information, and then there's everything else in the forest. Yeah, everything else in the forest, I'm pretty open to talk about. But that stuff that is at the root of the ecosystem, that that's like. Less than 10 people. And, and, and I don't think that's bad. But the same thing is, like, I didn't think I was there. I thought it was pretty radically open. Yeah. And then I'm finding that, like, maybe I'm not to the point where I thought I was. Maybe not to the point where I'm not at all. But not to the point I thought I was. What if it's that being radically open? What if the confusion there is you're radically open, but being radically open doesn't change? The, the feedback to you being radically open doesn't change the fact that you feel the way you feel. Yeah. Maybe it, that's it. It could be. That you know what I mean? Well, that yeah. being radically open doesn't actually have the therapeutic and or healing effect you were looking for sometimes. Because at the end of the day, you still have to come back to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that, that's what part of it is for me. You know, I kind of thought about, like, if I talk through stuff that's bothering me, does it make me feel better? Sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. That I don't think that is a criticism of the act of sharing or the the line. I think sometimes shit's just just stronger than that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, it, it would be interesting if you're interested in conversations like these, might we suggest you check out the reconceive podcast from Melissa Sundwall yeah. at all who are actually trained professionals. This has been a long way around the barn to me having <laughs> existential crisis. Um, but I'm just drunk enough to do that. Bingo. And that's what we're all about. That's what we do here. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm excited to We sit should down. put the link to, in the show notes. We, sh- we totally should. Yeah. I am not going to do that because I don't make show notes, but one of you assuredly will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because people have asked me <laughs> the last time we mentioned it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so anyways, um, if you've been listening to any of this and will at some point get to listen to the much longer form version, which I think we should do. As a mixed six episode RPPR episode, oh yeah, we'll do. Everybody get. We'll talk about party foul. In the meantime, all you need to know is 
we're pushing forward. We're trying hard. We're going to grind, grind, grind. We're going to make this thing work, and we're going to try to make the best version of it we can. Um, despite uh, a little bit of a stumble at the at the start and then some whiffs on some ways to get us through those legs, we are figuring shit out and we're making it work, people. Okay? Uh, and if you backed, thank you so much for being a part of the process. Yes, and you. if you are a, a mixed six supporter of any variant, um, either either a listener or a Patreon or a patron on Patreon, thank you for absolutely everything that you do. We appreciate it so much. If you're not already following us on Twitter, check us out at the Mix Six. You can also find us on Facebook. We've got a page and a group you can go to youtube and type in the mix six podcast you'll find a bunch of videos animatics um, super cuts of us saying stupid things some old episodes of snippets of adventure our rpg podcast actual play podcast uh, and you can fucking send us stuff to the mixed six uh 2131 west republic road number 101 springfield missouri 65807 as we said at the top of this show thanks so much to scott and laura horst who are our most recent mailers uh, for these wonderful things they've given us. And Laura, we want you to know we all really enjoyed reading your note. Uh, thank you so much. We're sorry that we've ruined podcasts for you, probably. My <laughs> assumption is that all of the other podcasts are good. No, we haven't. Eh, it, it's, a good pod- um, it's a good podcast. There's, there's something I've shared. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyways, thanks so much for everything you do. Uh, we, we, we love you to death. And for all of the support you've given us, thank you so much. Uh, once again, this has been The Mix 6. I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. We'll see you next time. Still, 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 still sleeping. Still sleeping.